you have your Bibles, we encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, turn to the book of Luke. We just study the Bible verse by verse here at Wooden Hills Church. Nothing fancy. We're not a real high frills church here at all, are we? Uh, we just keep it simple, worship and, and, and study the word. And so we're going through the book of Luke, and we're now in Luke chapter 3, up to verse 15. And I want to entitle this message, Calling Down Fire. And I can't tell you the energy I have for this. I mean, just the sense of passion, uh, a sense of that we individually and as a body desperately need this message. It's about the Holy Spirit, about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you to really tune in. I want you to do this all the time, of course, but, but, but this morning, I'll put aside all other worries and considerations and listen to what God has to say to you here this morning. And I'm going to try to keep my message relatively brief so we can have a time of gathering around the altar and worshiping the Lord again and asking God to send forth His fire and baptize this congregation in the power of the Spirit. So this comes out of Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. The people were waiting expectantly. This is some, at least some of these people are the crew that moved out in the desert. For the last two centuries, we've shown in the previous series that uh, these groups are out in the desert waiting for the Lord to show up. And as they're waiting expectantly, some were beginning to wonder in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. He was, he was standing out. God had anointed him to be the, the real McCoy that points out the Lord when he shows up in the desert as had been prophesied. But John said, no way. Look, I baptize you with water, and that's a good thing. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, there's, there's one definite article governing both Holy Spirit and fire, which means that Holy Spirit and fire is one of the same thing. It's not two different baptisms. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be baptized with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. I know what I read maybe didn't sound like good news. We'll talk about this in, in, in future weeks. But it, it, it's, it's good news if you're wheat. If you're chaff, it's not such good news. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, that's Herod's brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Now, it was the role of a Jewish prophet to confront Jewish kings when they were not walking in the covenant, the Jewish covenant of the Old Testament, and that's what John did. Now, he didn't do that to pagan kings because that wasn't part of the covenant, but he did it to Herod because Herod was a Jew and was supposed to be the king over the Jews, and Herod didn't like it much, so he locked John up in prison and ultimately had him executed. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, and as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Holy Spirit, anoint it with your power in Jesus' name. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what we sometimes in traditional terminology refer to as the third person of the Trinity. Uh, here's kind of what that means. Here's, a, here's an easy way to think about the Trinity. I get asked about this quite a bit. Um, 
The, the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, three quote-unquote persons who are one God. It's God existing fully in three different ways. And you can think of it like this. The Father is sort of God in his infinitude. Uh, when you look up at the starry sky and are overwhelmed by the magnificence of creation and you sense the awesomeness of God, there you're thinking more about God the Father. This is sort of God up there, God in his transcendence. The, the Son, God the Son, is Jesus Christ, and this is God in bodily form. When God becomes a man, it's the person of Jesus Christ. He's fully God. He exists differently than the Father. The Father is God in his infinitude, whereas the Son is God in incarnate or embodied, uh, fused with humanity. Uh, but still, the Father is fully God and the Son is fully God. And the Holy Spirit, whom we're going to speak about this morning, is God among us, God on earth, God working in our hearts. So if the Father is God up there, the Son is God in Jesus, God as human, and the Holy Spirit is God in us and among us. Okay? And now those three different ways of, of, of existing correspond to a, a, uh, an eternal thing in God where God is eternally Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God didn't start to be triune when he created the world and related to the world. But the way God's triune loving nature gets played out towards us is this way. Father transcendent, Son incarnate, Holy Spirit imminent. So we're speaking about the Holy Spirit because John spoke about the Holy Spirit here. Now, you read about the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible, including the Old Testament. But you don't read that much about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament because his, his primary job was reserved for the New Testament. Still, even in the Old Testament, you find that the Holy Spirit is God among us on earth. Where, where the rubber hits the road, that's the Holy Spirit. Or where God hits the earth, that's the Holy Spirit. Even in the creation, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, as the Father is getting ready to create the world through the Son, it's the Holy Spirit who's right there hovering over the waters. Uh, Ruach Adonai is, is, is the phrase in the, in the Old Testament. So the Holy Spirit is, is kind of watching over the waters, preparing it for the act of creation. And throughout the Old Testament, you find select individuals, not many, but certain individuals for a certain amount of time were moved on by the Holy Spirit. Uh, whenever somebody was supernaturally empowered, whenever anyone was brought out of their own limited resources into God's unlimited resources, whenever they were uh, used by God to do something they couldn't do on their own, that is tagged, or at least is often tagged, as being a work of the Holy Spirit. And you find it on occasion in the Old Testament. You find one other thing about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and that is this. Throughout the Old Testament, especially in the later stages in the Minor Prophets, they begin to look forward to an age, an eon, which they call the last days, when the Holy Spirit will, not, will no longer just be uh, something that a few select individuals experience, but rather would be poured out on, as Joel says, the prophet Joel says, would be poured out upon all flesh. They look forward to that time when the Holy Spirit's going to be much more active and prominent in God's dealing with humanity. Um, this is what John is really bringing to bear on the person of Jesus Christ. First thing he says about Jesus is that this is the one, he's, he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, but he's also the fulfillment about, uh, of the Old Testament prophecies about the Holy Spirit. Because he, whereas I only baptize with water, he's going to do something that I and no other human being could ever do, and that is he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I want it, this is what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And I know for some people here that might become a scary word because maybe you've been abused with that. And I want to keep your, 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 I want to ask you to keep your minds open and to get a different perspective about this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a metaphor. The word baptism, as we've seen in the uh, uh, series that we just finished on water baptism, the word baptism means to dip or to immerse. And so to say you're baptized in the Spirit means you're immersed in the Holy Spirit. Okay, you're dunked in the Holy Spirit. Another metaphor that's used that denotes the same reality is you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, you're dunked in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is dunked in you and there's this saturation of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what this phrase is referring to. It was, I want us to see this now, a distinctive mark of the kingdom. It is still to be the distinctive or at least a centrally distinctive mark of the kingdom. Note that the first thing John says about Jesus in public is he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This isn't a little incidental, addendum, ornamental thing. This is a central thing. The revolution that Jesus came to start with his life and death and resurrection is going to be a revolution that's supposed to be characterized by this baptism and infilling of the Holy Spirit. That centrality of the Holy Spirit is captured by Jesus as well. When he says this in Acts chapter 1, a very important verse, Jesus commanded his disciples, this is just before he ascends into heaven, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father, the gift that my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's that phrase again. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to therefore be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, don't try to start the church. Don't try to start this kingdom. Don't try to start this revolution until you receive power from on high. And the power I'm talking about is what John was talking about. And I've given some teachings about this as well. Uh, this is that baptism of the Holy Spirit. They wait in Jerusalem and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out. They're baptized and filled with this spirit. And all sorts of supernatural stuff happens. Among other things, they're filled with incredible joy to the point where the crowd gathers around them and they hear them speaking in their own native tongue and, and they're acting drunk. That's how happy they are. When a person gets filled with the Holy Spirit, that sometimes happens. You, you get God intoxicated. And, and, and so they think they're drunk. So Peter, who just is now filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore has this kind of boldness, stands up. And he says, these people aren't drunk, like you think. Heck, it's only nine in the morning. Best argument I've ever heard. We don't start drinking until noon. No, he says, this is, this is, what you're saying here, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy that we've all known about. In the last days, which simply means in the last chapter of world history, that's the one we're in right now, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. No longer will it be a select thing here and there and on occasion. It's going to be on all people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. And he goes on to mention a number of other supernatural things that will accompany those on whom the Holy Spirit has fallen. Whereas in the Old Testament, a few select heroes of the faith, the Gideons and the Isaiahs of the Old Testament, they experienced for a period of time at least this, this great move of the Holy Spirit. Now in the New Testament, this is to be for all people. It's to be poured out at all times, without distinction, without regard to ethnicity, without regard to nationality, without regard to gender, without regard to religious status. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on all people. It's a distinctive, central trademark of the kingdom 
kingdom revolution. Now here's the irony. I'm betting that a lot of people in this auditorium listening right now, and if this gets on the radio, uh, a lot of people listening by radio, have never heard of this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or if you have heard of it, a lot of you probably have been taught that it's synonymous with believing. Everyone who believes is filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to give here a, 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 a frame of reference, a different way of looking at this, and, and, and try to keep an open mind. Uh, and, and listen to what the, the word has to say about this. It is true and importantly true that every believer has the Holy Spirit. In fact, you couldn't be a believer unless you had the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that no one can even confess Jesus as Lord and mean it, really make Jesus Lord, unless they're moved on by the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You see, uh, here's the thing. The Bible tells us that we as a race were so alienated from God, so lost, so in bondage, that we could not and would not on our own come around to believing in Jesus. Uh, when you surrendered your heart to Jesus, that's not because you were smart enough to see something, and it's not because your heart was good enough to sense something. The Holy Spirit was working in your life to open up your eyes and to open up your heart. Now, maybe you didn't sense that. You probably didn't sense that. Most people on the planet don't think that they're that far gone, which is simply an indication of how far gone we are. Uh, we just have to take it on, on divine authority. that We on our own, we're dead in sins. The Holy Spirit, by God's grace, is working in every heart to try to free us, to enable us to see the truth and to receive the truth. You have a role to play. It's not like God just picks and chooses who he wants to be saved and then sort of coercively turns them around so now they have to believe in Jesus. But it is true that, that unless the Holy Spirit was working in your life, you never would have on your own have accepted Jesus. That's why if you're a believer here this morning, you've got to give God all the glory for it. It was by God's grace that you're faith. That's not to your credit. That's not a testimony to your intelligence or to the goodness of your heart. The only thing you did is yield. You allow God to batter down your heart. So if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit because you couldn't be a believer without the Holy Spirit. Paul adds this in Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, and actually in the Greek it could be as you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. What Paul is saying here is this, that as you believed, and the Holy Spirit's already been active in your life to empower you to believe, to enable you to believe, and when you finally do that, when you surrender your life to him, and know that no one in the New Testament is ever talking about a theoretical belief, they mean an authentic belief that includes making Jesus Lord of your life. And when you do that, there is a seal put upon you. That, the, the metaphor that Paul's drawing here is this. In the ancient world, uh, especially among wealthy people who could afford these sorts of things, well, when there's something precious that you owned, or especially documents that you'd own, you'd, you'd melt wax over the, the covering, and you'd stamp it with, with a, a particular signature that marked it, that tagged it as yours. All right? And what Paul is saying here is that when you believe, the Holy Spirit is present in you and he seals you. He puts God's stamp of ownership on you. It's kind of like the, the, the Sturgis team up here. They're wearing those wonderful shirts that says, Property of Jesus. 
Uh, I belong to Jesus. I'm owned and operated by Jesus Christ. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does to every believer. Boom, now you belong to God. Uh, he's yours. You're a child of his. You've been washed by the blood. You're part of this kingdom. And he puts that seal there. What I want us to see is that the Holy Spirit is active and present and sealing every single believer, making them the unique property of God. This is why no kingdom person, no believer should ever, ever, ever for a second worry about committing what the Bible calls the unforgivable sin. Uh, the, the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. About once a year, I get somebody who's worried, worried about that. But see, if you're a believer, you couldn't possibly have committed that. In fact, if you had committed the unforgivable sin, you wouldn't be worried about committing the unforgivable sin because if you're worried about it, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit's active in your life. All right, so just perish that thought. Be done with it. You're owned and operated by Jesus Christ. So every believer has the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean, and I want you to follow me on this, that every believer is baptized with or filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about this. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples believed in Jesus. The doubting Thomas came to have faith in Jesus, confessed, my Lord and my God. He couldn't have done that if the Holy Spirit wasn't working in his life. They all believed in Jesus. They're excited about Jesus now that he's risen from the dead. But Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the power from on high. You see, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're believers, they have the Holy Spirit, but they weren't yet baptized in the Spirit. There's a difference between believing and being baptized in the Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 8. It says this, Philip's out there preaching among the Samaritans, which was a new thing. God's tearing down racial walls. He's been doing it then. He was doing it then. He's still doing it today. Thank God. And when the Samaritans believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, they believed it, and, and were baptized in the name of Jesus. Uh, they, they were all baptized, both men and women. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria, where this revival was breaking out. And when they arrived, these apostles prayed for the new believers. They were genuine believers. They'd been baptized as well. But they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So look at they were believers, and yet there was something else the apostles uh, felt they needed. Something was missing there, and they were so concerned with it, they traveled up from Jerusalem into this, what was really forbidden territory uh, for Jews. They went into Samaria to pray for them, because what they saw was that they didn't have the power yet. They believed, they were baptized, a lot of good things were happening, but they didn't have the power, they didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so they came up there and prayed that they received the Holy Spirit, and they did. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5. To believers, he says, Okay, stop getting drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, in the tense there, it actually could be translated, be continually filled with the Spirit which shows us that this isn't a one-time spiritual experience where now you can kind of ride out on that religious buzz the rest of your life. You've done, taken a quantum leap into the zone of, of euphoria and you're never going to come down. It doesn't work like that. Uh, Paul is saying be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he's talking to believers. But the fact that he tells them to be continually filled with the Spirit shows you that being a believer isn't identical with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, that, that admonition would make no sense. There's a difference between being a believer who has the Holy Spirit and being a believer who's baptized in the Holy Spirit, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, who's got the power, who's got the fire. There's a difference between those two. Now, how do you know this difference? And here we get into some controversial territory. 
How do you know when someone's been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And there's a whole teaching out there, and I can't go into it very, very, very much in depth right now. I don't have the time. But there's a number of people who will tell you, and they're very sincere about this, and God bless them. But I, I disagree with their, their thinking. They will say that whenever a person's baptized in the Holy Spirit, they'll speak in tongues. They'll speak in tongues. And see, what, what that teaching does is it creates sort of a two-class Christianity where you have some who speak in tongues and some who don't, and the ones who speak in tongues feel like they've got the fire, and the ones who don't speak in tongues uh, you know, feel like they don't have the fire. And the interesting thing is that uh, you'll find that a lot of the people who don't speak in tongues have got more fire than the ones who do speak in tongues, and yet because they haven't spoken in tongues, they feel like somehow they're spiritually inferior and creates all sorts of a mess. But more importantly, it's just not grounded in Scripture. You find examples in the book of Acts, three to be specific, where, yes, when people were baptized in the Spirit, they spoke in tongues. But you also find examples in the book of Acts where people, in fact, three to be specific, where when they were filled with the Spirit, they prophesied. And you find examples in the book of Acts when people are filled with the Spirit, they do other things. Other things manifest this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But more important than that, you shouldn't base a doctrine on a historical precedent. That's a very dangerous thing to do. Because something happens some way doesn't mean that it's God's will for it always to happen that way and only that way. I mean, for example, one time God used an animal, a donkey specifically, to chastise a false prophet. But that doesn't mean that we should go around and talking to, to, to donkeys to try to get spiritual advice. Because something happened, unless the Bible teaches, we've got to teach what the Bible teaches. Not try to draw out an inference on what people in Scripture uh, experienced. The reality is, the truth is, that from a biblical perspective, there is no one particular evidence that is sort of the test, the sign, the proof that you're baptized in the Spirit. The way you know that you're baptized in the Spirit is that there is the fire that is there. There is a power differential, if you will. Uh, it is manifest in a lot of different ways, but the common denominator to all the particular manifestations of the Spirit is that there is a supernatural dimension to your life that was not there before. That's why Jesus says this. We already read this passage. Listen carefully. Acts chapter 1. But you will receive, everybody say it, power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. It's the power that he's talking about, this supernatural anointing of God whereby he takes you out of your own limited resources and brings you into God's unlimited resources. So I would summarize it this way. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the supernatural power of God that bears witness to God. That's why Jesus says, you'll receive power, and immediately he adds, and you'll be my witnesses. This is power for witnessing. Now, I don't just mean, and I don't think the Bible just means power for evangelism. Rather, it's, it, it's the anointing of God whereby you put God on display. The power of God whereby you manifest the reality that God is God and there is none like him. It's the power of God whereby you manifest the reality of God's love and the reality of God's anointing. It's the power to not just talk about the kingdom, but to demonstrate the kingdom, to manifest the kingdom. You witness to God. You witness to others about God by the power that is present in your life. And this is to be the distinctive trademark of the kingdom revolution. The disciples experience Jesus' resurrection and they're all fired up. They now see what they didn't see before. They've got the good news. They now understand what it's all about. And they want to go out and build the kingdom. They're biting at the bit. But Jesus says, hold your horses. I want you to sit and wait. 
And I can just picture those guys. Right, here's how I would have been. It's, it's, okay, okay, come on, come on, we gotta go. Come on, he me. We, we gotta go. We gotta tell people. We gotta, we gotta go. We gotta go. Come on, we gotta. We should have done this yesterday for crying out loud. Man. Get a program going, you know. And you want to get out there and you want to just do it, man. You got something so important, so incredible. And Jesus says, Simadana, sit down there and wait for a while until you receive the power. Yeah, don't, don't even try to build this kingdom on your own. Rather, you wait for the power. Don't try to build a kingdom until the power of the king is saturating you, is filling you, is immersing you. And when Acts chapter 2 happens, we begin to understand why Jesus said wait. Because when Acts chapter 2 happens, there's a lot of things that happen that couldn't have happened had they not waited. When Acts chapter 2 happens, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, all sorts of supernatural stuff happens. And you can't pin one of those supernatural things and say, oh, this is a sign. Rather, it's just the power, uh, the supernatural power that's on them. That is the evidence that the Spirit has been poured out. So there's this rushing mighty wind all over the place. And then there's fire on people's heads. And then people start speaking in tongues. And then there's a miracle that people start hearing them speaking in their own language. And, and, and th then, then there's this uh, prophecy. Peter stands up and prophesies. And there's all sorts of supernatural stuff that goes on. And that's what we find throughout the Holy Spirit. This isn't some kind of uh, religious thing where people are using their own resources to figure out how to do stuff just on their own. Yes, God uses your resources. I'm not against that. But he pulls you outside of yourself and you're walking in a dimension that is not of your own, a power that is not of your own, a wisdom that is not of your own. And so when the Holy Spirit shows up and these people are filled with the Spirit throughout the book of Acts, you find that now they, have a, they can do a lot of things they couldn't do before. Uh, in Jesus' name, they're working miracles. In Jesus' name, they're casting out demons. They've got a supernatural power to experience a joy and encouragement that they didn't have before. They've got a fearlessness and a boldness that they didn't have before. Paul and Silas are in prison, and they've just got the tar beat out of them, and they're facing possible execution. But what are they doing? Well, they're filled with the Spirit, so they're not discouraged. They're singing songs to God. They're praising God. The Bible says they're rejoicing down there in prison. That's evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All sorts of stuff are going on. Where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is present, you'll find here in the book of Acts, the walls start coming down, and, and, and they're starting to relate to people they otherwise wouldn't relate to, and they're going out in the outer parts of the world, and God's building his kingdom. Had they not waited, I'm, they would have done some good stuff for sure. Someone, would have had a, you know, who, someone who's good at strategy would have done some strategizing, and someone who's good at speaking would have done some speaking, and someone who's good at planning would have done some planning, and they would have had a little good thing going there, but it wouldn't have been what we find in the book of Acts. They wouldn't have got 3,000 people converted on one day. That takes Holy Spirit power to produce that, that kind of stuff. That's the trademark of the kingdom revolution. The point is this. You can be a believer, and you have the Holy Spirit, and you're saved, and yet there's nothing supernatural about you. You don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's possible to be a believer. And God bless you, that's a good thing. And you do good things, but it's always on your own resources. It's always on your own wisdom. It's always in your own power. You, it's possible to be a believer and you functionally live your life pretty much as if you weren't a believer. You, the way you look at the world, what you experience, whatever, it's pretty much the ordinary thing. In fact, it's possible to be a church and do some good things filled with people who have the Holy Spirit, but you don't have that power. You don't have that power. It's a natural church. It's a religious club. You, you know, you, you, it's all your own strategizing. It's all your own know-how. It's all your own talent. It's all, you know, it's just pretty much natural. If unbelievers were singing these songs and saying these same things, it would look pretty much the way it looks, you see? It's possible to be a believer. It's possible to be a church 
and be and totally lack that anointing that the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's possible to be a person who is filled with the Spirit in one season of your life, and another season of your life, it's totally gone. Because this isn't a one-time thing. Paul says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's possible to be a believer and to be a church, and without the, the, that anointing that's called the Holy Spirit, how God wants us, you individually and us as a church, to not be doing it on our own, to not just be living in our own resources, to not just be doing ministry out of our own wisdom and out of our own power. God wants us to continually, doesn't matter what happened last year, I'm talking right now, to be filled with the Spirit. God wants us to be on fire. There is no way that we will ever accomplish what God wants us to accomplish without the continual baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no way that you individually will ever be what God knows you can be and what you ought to be unless you are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no way we're going to bear witness to God in our neighborhoods the way God wants us to bear witness to God without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no way we'll ever be a people who worship as authentically and as powerfully as God wants us to worship unless we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no way that our, the messages preached here will have the authority that God wants them to have unless we are a congregation that is continually baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's no way we're going to reach out to the homeless and put the love of God on display the way God wants us to unless we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's no way we're going to tear down racial walls and be a congregation that manifests the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ unless we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no way we're going to see God glorified by seeing people healed uh, physically and emotionally and psychologically the way God wants to put himself on display unless we individually and as a congregation are continually baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's no way we're going to manifest the joy and the love and the peace and the freedom of God unless we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's no way we're going to see the soul saved that God wants to see saved unless we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Is somebody with me here this morning? The vision that God has given us, there's no way, there's no way no way we can ever achieve this on our own. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that what's put on display is the reality that this isn't, a, this isn't a Greg Boyd thing. It's not even a Woodland Hills thing. This is a God thing. This is a Jesus thing. This is a Holy Spirit thing. This is a kingdom thing. And that's about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be filled individually and as a congregation. God wants us to be immersed in the Spirit individually and as a congregation. With, with folks, we're in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. He doesn't want a little... Once in a while, we, we sense a little bit of a move. We sense a little bit of a wind. We take a little bit of a sip. We put our toe in the water. No, that's Old Testament thinking. We're talking New Testament revolution. And God is saying, dive in! Get filled! Get intoxicated! Get drunk with the Spirit! Be moving in God's zone. This isn't some panacea cure-all where all of a sudden you're not going to have any problems in your life. What it is, though, is that there is a supernatural dimension to your life that wasn't there before. As in the, old, in the New Testament, you listen to God. God moves on you, tells you to do these things. There's, there's, a, there's a dimension there, a supernatural dimension that wasn't there before. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's the fire, that's the passion that moves and transforms people in their lives. We need, we need, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. It is so easy. I'm here to tell you, to confess. 
I know firsthand how easy it is to just slide into normal, to slide into status quo, to slide into mediocrity, to slide into just doing natural religion. Sometimes you get discouraged where you just, you know, you're walking in the zone with God and man, things are going good, but you know, something happens that just didn't seem like it was supposed to happen or you don't quite see the miracles you wanted to see and, and you know, and sometimes you're disappointed. I struggle with that. And the easy thing is to say, fine, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do the American fire insurance program. Uh, you know, I, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to go to heaven anyways. And, and it's a, I'd rather not be disappointed than to be walking in the spirit, fired up, and then be disappointed. And so we, and, and, and it, takes, it takes a mental work to always be, at, every day, asking God to fill you to walk in that anointing. It's a lot easier just to slide into sort of ordinary naturalism. And you can still do good things that way, but it's not the adventure of the kingdom. It's not the power of the kingdom. It's not the excitement of the kingdom. It's not what God intends for the kingdom. Folks, we need, to, we need, we, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 